Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. I want you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to go through chapter through through chapter 8 periodically, so just be aware that's where we're going to be this morning. But as you're turning there, Acts provides a picture of the churches during the critical early days. We can see what a church should look like, as well as how discordant churches can appear by studying what was provided in this account. I find it kind of disturbing on occasion that as we look at the picture of the first congregation situated in the midst of society and its intent on destroying it, we look quite different from what is presented in the Word. Frankly, a visitor from that day would say, you don't look like your picture. In that, with our sermon series being an impactful church, Acts kind of gives us a brief inside look of what churches then looked like, and then obviously we can compare ourselves then. Not for the purpose of either making ourselves look better or making ourselves look really, really bad, but the purpose is that we learn from them. We learn from the mistakes. We learn from the things that they did well and how we can improve as a church. Now, Comparing the churches of this day with the churches of the New Testament can be a means of encouragement. Seeing those first churches as they were pictured in the pages of the New Testament reminds us of why we are here. So if you need to know, that's where we go. If you want to know why we're here, that's where you go. And just as seeing them encourages us to commit ourselves to fulfilling the command of the risen Son of God. And on the other hand, comparing the churches of this day with the churches of the New Testament can actually be very disheartening. We soon realize that we don't have much resemblance to those congregations of an earlier era. We don't look like our picture, as we would say. But if we're looking at the message, and you know that many prominent preachers like to preach about this, about how we will be a witness as a church, and they often appear aimed at approving our lives now. A lot of pastors will come in there and they'll teach you how do we improve ourselves right now. They address uh, low self-esteem, they encourage us to live our best life now, or they urge us to be nicer than we are at the moment. It's always good to be nice, right? Amen. When one reviews the messages printed in the Gospels or in the book of Acts, Christ is central. Christ is central. And the, uh, the message inevitably pleads with those likening to look to him. And if we want to look like our forebearers, we will ensure that our message is right. 
That's what we need to do. We got to make sure that we get the message right. All who were gathered in that upper room were filled with the Holy Spirit of the living God. And Peter seized the opportunity of the moment. And he preached a message from the prophet Joel. And no doubt, everyone in that crowd was familiar with Joel's prophecy. But none had ever heard the immediate transition to the explanation that the fulfillment of the prophecy was due to the revelation of Jesus of Nazareth as the promised Messiah. Listen to Peter, Acts 2, 22 through 24. And listen to Peter as he confronts the crowd here. Chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know that this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. There was no possibility of living their best life now or ever because they were sinful creatures in rebellion against the living God. They couldn't be good, as we would say. And those hearing Peter and witnessing all of the disciples glorifying God and speaking of his mighty works needed to hear that they were sinful beings, guilty of deicide. In other words, they have murdered their son of God. Thus Peter pointed to the words of the psalmist, testifying that David wrote of the Christ who would be crucified and then be raised to life. The apostles to the Gentiles testified, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day, being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God had raised up, and of that we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. See, the Lord God said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And then Acts ending there in verse 36, let all those at the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. The apostles' message confronted those who heard him speaking on that day, exposing the horror that they had rejected the mercies of God in order to exalt themselves. They heard Peter as he compelled them. 
even against their will at times. And it confronted the evil of their self-seeking lives. Then Peter pointed to the truth that Jesus is the Messiah and that faith in him delivers from condemnation, bringing those who believe into a right relationship with God. And people within the crowd, perhaps the overwhelming majority, cried out, verses 38 through 39, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter, serving as a spokesman to the disciples, pointed to the message that must always characterize his preaching. It says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. This message that Peter preached is a message that was echoed by each of those who had been united in prayer in the upper room before the Spirit of God descended. And it is the same message proclaimed by all who dared stand with the risen Lord of glory during those early years. Never forget that the risen Savior, Savior had commanded those who would follow him, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And we'll go into that further. Now, Pastor Reed is going to be speaking more to this in the coming weeks. But all who followed the Savior heard the Master and united in proclaiming this one great message. It is the same message that all followers of Christ and all true Christians are responsible to proclaim to this day. We don't invite people to hear the message proclaimed so that they will become better people, though they will undoubtedly be better people when they believe in Christ. We don't invite people to receive the message of life so that they can live more boldly, though the redeemed people of God will undoubtedly live boldly because they have no fear of death. You see, we invite people to look to Christ because we love him and we seek him in order that we honor him. We are convinced that those without Christ are condemned to eternal separation from God. And when we are convinced that Christ does save all who come to him, receiving him as our master, we are convinced that Christ is worthy of our best service. Amen? Those first disciples had heard the master's instructions commanding them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem and therefore. You are witnesses of these things. We went over this last week in Luke 24. Having heard his charge, 
these first followers proclaimed the salvation he offers through faith in him. Just as he had commanded, they took seriously the command that the risen Lord of glory had given them. Moreover, they rejoiced in the opportunity to serve him and to advance his kingdom. They gladly accepted the challenge and the responsibility to live godly lives and to serve the risen Savior. We as Christians are often guilty of diluting the message because oftentimes we hear the same message and we don't even recognize it anymore because it is not us that needs to be given this message. It is our Lord, our God, who gives the message. We are eager to tell people that Jesus can solve their problems. But what if the problems you had before you professed faith are still present after you come to faith? Or worse still, what if those problems are even greater than they were before you professed faith in Christ? Does that mean that Jesus doesn't care for you? Or even that he is incapable of working in your life? You see, we're unable to see the end from the beginning when it comes to the events that occur in our lives. We focus on the immediate without thinking of the eventual. How many people have come to faith because they suffered loss and were compelled to rely on God's grace and mercy? How many do we know that do this, and there's no true relationship. What if persecution intensifies after a person comes to faith in the Savior? Does that mean that God is unable to protect his child? Jesus warns those who would follow him, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not, I repeat, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Another one of God's promises. Listen to Jesus as he teaches during his Sermon on the Mount. And I'm not going to go into great detail because we have someone who will. But blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Have you ever read the words of the apostle that teach us all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived? Even the desire to live a Godly life in Christ. The Lord invites persecution. Those living in this world, even your beloved family members, you see, they hate Christ. They don't hate us, they hate Christ. And they hate those who serve Him. But this is our calling. This is what we are called to do. And as Aside of a great significance, don't 
bother becoming a follower of the risen Savior if you are looking for a problem-free life. Understand that. Following Christ will be demanding. What you will receive from Christ if you follow him is the promise of his presence. The forgiveness of sin. The confidence that you are accepted before the Father in the beloved Son. And the promise of heaven itself. You receive all this with persecutions. We must not imagine that we can induce those who are lost to come to faith under false pretenses. We must caution that following the Savior demands commitment to him with no promise of an easy life. God calls us to be righteous and godly despite the dangers of this fallen world. Paul writes, the Roman Christians, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. So what shall separate us from Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, enemies? No. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Romans 8, 31 through 39. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We preach... Christ. Very simple. We preach Christ. Paul affirms this message. 1 Corinthians. We preach Christ crucified. That we must, and that, you see, that must be our message. If we're going to get our message right, this is the message we need to come with. We preach Christ. We need to also have the right method. We have to know how to go about this. You will be in my witness in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, the charge was to witness beginning where the disciples were. They were not to cast an eye to some distant land and to say, one day I want to go there and tell the people of God salvation. The disciples were there to tell those among whom they were then living that Jesus is the Messiah and that they had long anticipated he was there. And the disciples were charged to tell their neighbors and their families and their friends that God's salvation is now offered to all who come to Christ as their Lord. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Jesus offered this. 
Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, this was an offering that was expended to all people, even to this day. And how are people to know that Jesus will receive them if they are not told? Have we never heard the words of the apostle as he applies the message of life? How then will they not call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the words of Christ. How are we to witness? Are there particular steps we should take if we will be competent witnesses? For years, I know that we've all been taught various methods for initiating um, conversations with others that would hopefully lead to an opportunity to witness. We've been taught um, people, you know, we talk about the Roman road. Um, we taught people to use uh, the four spiritual laws and the gospel, the ABCs. You know, these are all things that we've learned, but how many of us are putting those into practice? How many of you are creating opportunities for yourself to go and speak of this good news? I'm often intrigued that the Bible does not provide us with a script for initiating a conversation concerning presenting Christ as Lord. The Spirit-filled saints energized on the day of Pentecost were telling the mighty works of God. Acts 2.11. There's a script there. After Peter and John had given the gift of limbs that could again carry a lame man, the big fisherman simply seized the opportunity of the amazement expressed by those witnessing the power of God, telling all that it was that the risen Jesus who had given the former cripple the, cripple the ability to walk, to leap, to run. And then later when these two apostles were hailed into court, they saw the questions that were being asked and an opportunity to tell all who were present that it was the very Jesus whom the same body had condemned to death and who not only gave healing, but who was willing to provide salvation to anyone who would look to see him. Stephen saw the threat of death as an opportunity to tell an angered mob that it was the Son of God who would give salvation to anyone who called on him. Acts chapter 7. Philip publicly proclaimed the Christ in Samaria, and those who heard him believed as the Spirit of God empowered his words. That's chapter 8. 
Then, directed by the Spirit of God to go into the desert where he encountered a court official from Ethiopia who was reading the scriptures, Philip simply asked if the man understood what he was reading. When he was told that the man couldn't understand what he was reading unless someone provided guidance, Philip pointed him to the risen Lord of glory. Acts 8, um, 29 through 38. What we are seeing in these multiple examples and what we will see throughout the remainder of the count of those early congregation as the faith spread across the empire as it is today is that there was not one method with which the early Christians initiated a gospel conversation. Christians guided by the Spirit of Christ, were willing to seize the moment in order to tell others what they knew to be true concerning Jesus and were the means of spreading the message of life. They realized that whatever happened, the Spirit of Christ was able to use that moment to capture the attention of those near them and the followers of Christ. And just so, wherever you happen to be and whatever is taking place where you are, God's Spirit will guide you in how you are to speak. I know this scares people. What do I say? What do I do? We had a conference yesterday. Thank you for those who came. We talked about what do we do, what do we say when we get into that situation? How many of you have written out the plan of salvation in your Bible? How many of you carry your Bible with you? We have to have the plan. We have to be ready. God will inevitably speak through you. But we need to prepare ourselves for that. In Luke's account of the growth of the early churches, we read of the impact of witnessing throughout a region. And in the 19th chapter of the book of Acts, we read, Paul entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years so that all of the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jew and Greek. This was a man with a plan. He was ready to allow God to speak through him. Paul didn't move from Ephesus to evangelize the entire, the entire countryside. Rather, he confined his service to one location. First in the synagogue located in Ephesus, and then when opposition grew intense, moving to the hall of Tyrannus. See, there he was teaching the word of God. And people were coming to faith in the Son of God. And then they were learning of the truths of the word as they were taught. It's a simple process. It's not simple, but it is simple. Those who were taught then told others, who in turn 
told yet others, until within two years, all the residents of the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. People told people about Christ. Why can't that happen here? Why can't that happen in Winton? Merced, Atwater, all the surrounding counties. If anything, I think the script is pretty clear. We have a job. We've all been called to do the same thing. We all have different spiritual gifts. We all have different abilities which facilitate in that. But we're all called to do the same thing. Something like that should be taking place here. As people hear the teaching of the word, they are being equipped to tell others of the things of God. And as we tell others of what we know to be true, the word of life spreads until all living in this region will have soon heard the word. One person is not to do it all, though. It needs to be a collective effort. All of us together unite to tell those with whom we come in contact until everyone has heard the message of life. And when we've finished with this area, we go further. We go. We keep going. It it might sound shocking, but it is not our responsibility to save people. It is not our responsibility to save people. It is our responsibility to ensure that everyone has had the opportunity to hear the word of our Lord. To hear about Christ's spirit and how it's working in the lives of those who have heard the message of life. It will bring some to faith in the Son of God. Our responsibility is to declare the message of life, just as the Lord has charged us when he commanded, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Going about our daily business, we are to disciple others by telling them what we know to be true. Simple enough, right? But then and only then, when others are discipled, we are to bring them into the fellowship of the assembly where they will be taught the whole counsel of God. You see, the right method for evangelizing is that the witness of the grace of our Lord must be guided by the Spirit of God. The very Spirit whom the Lord has given to each individual who is twice born. Then, because we are guided by the Spirit of Christ, we will seize the opportunity God provides to point those whom we encounter... To look to Jesus as the risen Lord of glory. It is obvious that we are to be witnesses both from the commands and the examples provided in Scripture. 
it's clearly laid out. And there's many prophecies that claim this and affirm this. And we can go into a lot of different stories and examples of this. And they're delightful stories. And we talk about the story of the leper. But it is the fact that the lepers were smitten by an attack of conscience, saying to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. The very knowledge that we are delivered should impel us to tell others of God's mercy. The knowledge that we have, that we have received grace, should compel us to tell others of that grace. The Apostle Paul was a powerful witness, as you well know. Some may assume that he preached the message of Christ for a reward. But they would be wrong if they made such an assumption. Paul argued that the very fact that he was a recipient of grace compelled him to preach as he did. Paul is written in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me, and woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. We are all entrusted with a stewardship. And see, as the disciples set out during the days of Christ's ministry in Judea, Jesus commanded them, proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, our witnessing is to be offered freely and without cost. And moreover, our witnessing must begin in Jerusalem, our Jerusalem. I don't want anyone to imagine that you and I must move to Israel by any means. Well, that would be kind of cool. That's not what I mean. I do mean that we are responsible as followers of the risen Lord of glory to witness where we are, telling others of his grace and mercy and those whom we have daily contact, whether in our home or whether speaking with those living within our communities, whether through our work or because we share a friendship. These constitute our Jerusalem. That is our Jerusalem. And so we have to not only have the right method within this, you have to have the right mindset. We have to be set straight. If you are a follower of the Christ, you will not be content with being merely a member of a church. You will understand that you are a witness to Christ's power to save your life serves as a trophy of God's grace. And others see in you that light. You are the only Bible that some will ever know. You will be maybe someone's only opportunity to hear the good news. 
It is a tragic truth that many contemporary Christians, perhaps even most Christians today, believe that warming a pew is a spiritual gift. And I wasn't lying when I said last week, we're coming for you. Just haven't gotten to you yet. It's coming. But some people think that's a spiritual gift, to warm that pew. However, we are saved to serve. We are saved to serve. Each individual who was born from above has received the Holy Spirit of God who lives in their life. And God's Spirit has gifted each follower of Christ with some spiritual gift meant to equip him or her to do the work of Christ on this earth. Paul instructs us that the spirit Christ has given is given so that we will be equipped to build up one another, to encourage one another, and to also console one another. Building the church begins with fulfilling the command to turn others to righteousness. And as I've already said, some see your life and wonder what is happening because of the manner in which you live. This is the basis for Peter's instructions to all who follow Christ. Who is there to harm if you are zealous for what you and what you think and is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered and those who revile you, for your good and your behavior in Christ. May that be put to shame. 1 Peter 3, 13 through 16. People about, people who are around you need to notice your life as a Christian. And especially if you have openly confessed your faith in Christ. Coupled with your testimony of grace or combined with a gentle admonition to look to Christ, your presence is a powerful instrument when directed by the Spirit of Christ. You will become a means by which God brings some to faith. And that is not an inconsequential act. That's what should get you up in the morning. That's why we do what we do. That's why we come and warm the pews. We get fed, but then we feed others. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So, as Followers of the risen Savior, we are witnesses. We use our voice to glorify the Lord and to point the lost to the life in Him. We use our life to reveal the glory of God and we demonstrate that work in us as His servants. 
Billy Graham is reported to have said in a sermon, if you're not going to go everywhere to preach, it makes no sense to preach everywhere you go. You see, he's correct in that statement. The message was directed to those who have been born again. Those who are redeemed through faith in the Son of God. These are the people who have heard the message of life. How Jesus has provided his life as a sacrifice and how he was buried. They know that he did not remain in that tomb. But he was raised to life and after 40 days he ascended into heaven where he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Knowing that and knowing that truth, we as Christians are called on the name of the Lord. We believe that he died for us and that he was raised to give us justification before the Father. So the real question this morning is, do we believe that? Do we believe it enough to do what we are called to do? That's the question. Have you believed this? God is calling us. He is calling his people to service. Amen. Who's ready to serve? Who's ready to serve? Dave, come and lead us in our benediction. After the closing prayer, if you're here and you're uncertain where you are in your spiritual life and that you're not certain that you have eternal life, I'll be standing here and please don't leave today without knowing that. I would be a privilege to talk with you. It would be a privilege. Let's stand together. I'm so glad. Sing it out. Lord, as we are the family of God, I pray as we leave here today that we don't overlook the opportunities that you have provided for us to share the gospel with someone, to share the undoubted truth that you love us and that you bless us with your grace and mercy. And to all who believe, like you said, can come to know you. And to come to know you is to know life everlasting. I pray this for all of us and all of those who we, who we will encounter. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Bless us to our appointed destinations and all the things that we say and do. Let it be an honor to you. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a great day in the Lord. The Bible says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on Him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to Him. 
If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.